season of Lent, which is a journey toward the cross, ultimately, and then toward Easter Resurrection Sunday. But that journey involves each of us to take our own personal spiritual pilgrimage. And you're getting emails every day about different disciplines to help us do that. Our Sunday school curriculums are pointed toward that to help us grow in our spiritual faith. For we see at Riverside that all of our life is a faith journey toward that we never finally get there, that we're always growing. We never have found it, we never have it, but we're growing toward it. We're evolving toward it in our emotional and spiritual growth. This morning's text is the beginning of that journey for us in the Bible's version in chapter 12 of Genesis. It really begins the historical documentation of the people of faith in chapter 12 of Genesis, the first 11 chapters with God's creation and Adam and Eve and and the flood and so forth. While not uh, ahistorical, were not written for historical purposes, but instead for poetic uh, and parabolic purposes. But with the calling of Abraham, the the prehistory of the first 11 chapters comes to an end and the historical process, the more historical process begins. May God open up to us an understanding of this word beginning in the first verse of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife, Sarah, and his brother's son, Lot, and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Story of Abraham. He was Abram in the story. He becomes Abraham only after he chooses to go. And it is thought that the Ham, the Ham, the breath of God is blown into him to give Abram the Abraham and Sarah that was S-A-R-A-I until she went was now S-A-R-A-H, Sarah. That wind of God was blown into them as they managed their journey. And what strikes me in the story is how little information we are given about it. We know nothing about Abraham except that he was probably a clan chieftain in the upper eastern part of what is now Iraq. 
They were childless, and he was 75 years old when the word of God came to him and said, Go and leave everything that is your life, your parents, your tents, all that was you for 75 years, leave it and go to the land I will show you. I just can't imagine what it must have been like for Abram to come home one day and say to Sarah, pack it up, we're moving. Oh, why? God called me. Really? What God? God. Yahweh called me. Oh, did you get a text? Email, phone call, tap on the shoulder. What? Well, I just know God called me. Where? Well, that's the thing. I'm not exactly sure where. God said that he would show us when we got there. So we're going to we're going to move and leave everything that we've done for 75 years and go to some place we don't even know where it is by a God we don't even know who God is. Abram, have you been drinking enough water taking care of your sheep in the desert? But in 99% of all cases, at least of those I know, that's always the way calls happen, always muddled up and tangled up in the ambiguities of whether it's truly God calling us or not, whether it's just an insinuation or not. And so the process of discernment is always vital. When I decided I should go to seminary way back uh, 30 years ago, uh, I will be in the ministry, so I guess it would have been five years before that, uh, I went to my pastor at the time and I said, uh, Dr. Patrick, I think I need to go to seminary. And he sat at his desk and he smoked a pipe and he took a draw and blew the smoke up in the air and didn't say anything and I'm anxious. And he says, okay, don't do anything, just stand there. And what he was advising me was, there are a lot of times that we feel called to go somewhere, but if it's truly a call... It will find that place in us, and we cannot not do it. And for Abram, that place was obvious. I suspect it was for reasons we don't even know, maybe his own personal reasons. I would like to know, was he having trouble as, uh, as a shepherd? Was he just tired of the same place for 75 years? Was he all of a sudden bit with the spirit of adventure, what was it in the backstory that gave him that sense of vitality to listen to God in the first place and secondly to act on it? But it was never so clear, I don't think, in those I know as a God speaks, Abram obeys, Abram goes, end of story. For in most of the people I know, whether it's ministry or as a doctor or as a homemaker or in any capacity, most of the people I know struggle with the purpose and point of their vocation. Is this something I've been called to or is it something out of my own need? Especially in the case of ministers, I can say that we have this narcissistic need to be loved and adored. Why else are we willing to stand up in front of a congregation week after week? 
And that narcissism also blends into this grandiose vision that we can, in fact, be the Savior. We can fix things. That's, I hate to burst your bubble, but we all have that. Each of you have it, too, on some level, some narcissistic grandiosity on some level that helps to motivate us to do things, and it's entirely selfish. But the good news is, as in Abram's case, as in hopefully my case, and as in your case, what else does God have to work with? But the sinful condition of our humanity that God takes and uses it to re-energize us to do God's will and work. As Paul said in Corinth, he's blasting the people in Corinth because they're hero-worshiping three preachers. Cephas and Apollos and even Paul himself. And he says, the only one you need to worship is Christ. All those preachers, they got their own problems. Besides, God takes the things that are not and turns them into the things that are. And what I am saying is that when God takes our own human conditions, our selfishness, our ego needs, our narcissism, our grandiosity, what God does is uses it and remolds that into the energy and the force behind doing God's will. It's turning the things that are not into the things that are. And I confess to you that in almost every case of the people I know, that's always a part of the call, but not the only part. The other part is God's word and voice that always comes wrapped up in the brown uh, wrapper of the human condition that, that is held together by the thin thread of ambiguity and mystery. It may even be decorated with our own rationality. But if we hang in there long enough and unwrap it and unwrap it and dig down into the gift itself, what we find there is the very divine presence of God that calls us from outside of ourselves and resonates with something inside of ourselves. Now the hard part is that those around you don't always get it. A little more than 12 years ago when I was going through the search process here at Riverside Church in conversation for over six months, Anita and I were having a conversation together about is this really a call? She didn't know what a call was. She'd never been married to a preacher. Uh, And so I I tried to help tutor her on that. Um, And uh, in the conversation, Anita made it clear that she had been living in Atlanta for 35 years and she had a great job that she loved and she had a lot of friends and she'd already left the Episcopal Church to marry me and join the Presbyterian Church. And she said, if you feel called, uh, we can talk about it. Well, one morning I woke up, and I didn't only feel called, I knew that I was definitely called to Riverside Church. And I thought, you know, I need to tell Anita first. So I did the only brave thing, I emailed her. (laughs) An hour later, I get an email in response. I'm not surprised. Don't you think it might have been better if you had told me this face-to-face? And while you feel called to Riverside and I understand that, I'm not sure that I am. 
but I am sure that I am your wife, and I committed to go with you where you go when you feel passionately called somewhere, just as you have committed to me to go where I go if I feel so called. So we moved. Now, she will say, she knows that we were called to Riverside Church. She has grown to love the church as well as Jacksonville and has made many friends here and is grateful and glad that we made this call. But at the time, and to be honest, at the time for me too, you don't know it's a call until you get into it and in fact as you look back. Such with Abraham, so with us. Whatever your call, if it's into ministry, and it is as a Christian, each one of us called to be priests to each other, or in your vocation, which is exactly the place you play out in your ministry, or in your life, or in your marriage, or in your parenting, wherever we are, we have been called to serve God and to follow God's voice. And it's not easy because of the ambiguities of it. Abraham and Sarah went, of course, and the story is that Abraham became the father of our faith. He begins the journey that we are called to follow. And in, in the Hebrews text, it says, By faith Abraham and Sarah journeyed, by faith, by faith, by faith, and such is the way of faith the faith that calls us out of our particular bubble, the bubble of bias and rationalizations and, you know what, God might even call you out of the same pew you've sat in for the last 45 years. At least move 15 feet forward or backwards. God calls us always out of the safe places that we make for ourselves and to go to a place that I will show you. And in the going, we've got to give up all of that comfort and stability that we've made for ourselves. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, as they say, I've never given up anything that didn't have claw marks on it. Who wants to do it? Yet that is the whole story of our life of faith. We are constantly moving further and further along the journey toward becoming Christ-like. And at every age, he's 75. God calls him and says, I will make of you a great nation, which means children. They had none up to then at 75. That's laughable. Which is exactly what they call their first son Isaac when he was born. Laughter. God says, I will make of you a great blessing for all the people of the earth. Six million Jews, 1.6 million Muslims, 2.2 million Christians in this world, half the population, claim Abraham as the father of our faith. And he had no idea, really, other than his own faith, where that was going to lead him. I had an interesting experience on Friday for Ethan Todd's memorial service. It was at the 
funeral home. It's a fairly new built complex, newly built complex. They have a room for memorial services and, and funerals. It wasn't big enough for us. In fact, it was overflowing all over the place. And in the same building, uh, there are offices where they do their work and then they take families, bereaved families, to look at the coffins or uh, the urns uh, uh, for the particular family to uh, inter their their loved one. And I walked in, they showed me into this little office. There was a mahogany coffin on the side, and then I looked over in the corner, and there was this square box about two feet by two feet. It was an urn for the ashes, and in the box, overspilling like it was on display at Macy's, were all kinds of golf paraphernalia. A pair of golf shoes, a golf hat, a towel from Timaquana, a scorecard from San, San Jose Country Club, uh, and a Happy Gilmore uh, tape in the middle of it. It's the movie about golf. Look, I'm a golfer. I love golf. But if that is the end, the symbol of this person's life, that he gets buried with nothing but golf paraphernalia and the way that you are remembered, that's about as thin as you can get. Paradoxically, we are in celebrating the life of Ethan Todd, whose life was as deep as it can go in his devotion and love and care for others. It was such a paradox. And it struck me that we all have that choice before us, whether we can choose to hear God calling us out into the world to serve others, or we can make our own little thin and shallow lives of narcissistic, grandiose, self-serving for others to take care of us too. And I don't think... Really, for us as Christians, we have a choice. We are called to follow God into the places of the world where we can serve and help. Yesterday, I was looking at a TED Talk, and it was, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, so... uh, His name is Lux Naran. He is into data analysis. And he and his team decided to look at 20 months' worth of New York Times obituaries. He said, on the front page of the newspaper, we find there the darkness of the human condition. As you move to the end of the newspaper, you find there the human goodness as it's portrayed in the life of these people. And so he, uh, he begins to do this data analysis on the words in these obituaries, 2,000 obituaries. He puts them all into the computer and starts figuring out what words were most used for these people. Leader, love, help, music, art, And the largest word of all in the word cloud that he formed was help. And it struck him that in every 
case of, not every case, but in the case of all the words collected, the most important word of all was help. That's how these people were remembered as being helpers, as doing something for the world that made the world a better place. They served. Abraham, we can look back on and see how he did it. What will they look back on in our lives? I'll end with the ending of his TED talk. So ask yourselves as you go back to your daily lives, how am I using my gifts to help the world? Because the most powerful lesson here is if more people live their lives trying to be famous by helpers in the time of life, by the time of death the world would be a much better place. We have Abraham to thank for this, the Spirit of God and the voice of God, and our own capacity to hear and act and respond. So may it be for each of us, together as a community of faith. Amen.